Welcome to the Gospel Reverb Podcast. Gospel Reverb is an audio gathering for preachers, teachers, and Bible thrill seekers. Each month, our host, Anthony Mullins, will interview a new guest to gain insights and preaching nuggets mined from select passages of Scripture in that month's Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast's passion is to proclaim and boast in Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Gospel Reverb. Gospel Reverb is a podcast devoted to bringing you insights from Scripture found in the Revised Common Lectionary and sharing commentary from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. I'm your host, Anthony Mullins, and I'm delighted to welcome this month's guest, Pastor Julie France. Julie is the pastor of not one, but two Grace Communion International congregations in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's a wife, mother of four children, and the friend of many who know her. Now, Julie, I've got to ask you, before we go any further, since you live in Ohio, um, are you a fan of Skyline Chili? And, and know this before you answer. There's only one right answer. So what is your response? <laughs> you know, Anthony, I'm a Southwest girl. And so there's only one kind of chili. And it's it's got spice and um, it's not stuff that goes over the top of spaghetti. Yes, right answer. So this is going to be a fantastic podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome to the podcast. And for those in our listening audience audience who may not be familiar with you, your family, and your work in Christ's ministry, we'd like to know you. So tell us a little bit about your story. Well, you know, my life has comprised of a faithful God who has constantly brought opportunity for me to know him and to um, to join him. And so I, I kind of feel like my whole life I've, I've known Christ um, at different levels. And it's like kind of get to go deeper as the years go. Um, I was very fortunate and uh, blessed to meet my husband um, at camp. And we were sharing the same passion for our life of, of, of living a, a life of ministry, a life in service to Christ. And early on in our marriage, he began the journey of full-time ministry with GCI. And I was very excited to join him um, and help him in that and, and walk alongside him. And so that really is where I began learning a lot about pastoral ministry. I had the ability to travel with him uh, and most of his trips and, and join him in, in the training and uh, the classes that he took. We used a lot of our evenings to just discuss and talk about theology and talk about what if, what if this is true about God? What does that look like? And um, those were just like training years for me. Those were years where I see the spirit molding my heart and creating in me um, a heart for his people and a heart to join him in something more than what I was doing at that time. Uh, several years ago, I was part of a prayer walk and journey that was several days long. And it was during that time that I really received that calling to join Christ in pastoral ministry. Uh, I came home and, and told my husband about it. And I naturally assumed that that meant I would step up and help him in a greater degree. Little did I know about six months later, I would be entering um, pastoral ministry as a lead pastor at one of the GCI Cincinnati churches. And that's where my journey began as a pastor. Um, and it's been wonderful. Uh, God is gracious and 
uh, he is faithful uh, along the entire path, and, and I am profoundly thankful for that. Uh, and it's been wonderful because we've been able to share life um, as family and life in ministry as family. And that's been a blessing that uh, means so much to me. And I, I think God just lets us do that because he can. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Along the way, Jason and I had four amazing kids and uh, their ages are 18, 16, 13, and seven. Um, I like my seven-year-old the most. Uh, she's the only <laughs> one who's not a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking with that. Yeah, it's it's really amazing to be in the position where your adult child is making adult decisions and you're seeing the freedom of choice. And, you know, I, I want to have this conversation with God. It's like, I, I so greatly appreciate your love and free will that you give us, but could you not give it to this one? You know, that's, that's that moment as a mom, you just, sometimes that's tough, but no, it's, it, it is truly a blessing to trust God um, in the life of your kids and, uh, and, and to journey that with him. It's been, a, having teenagers has been a spiritual journey for me, um, but a very good one. Yeah. Yeah, I think every parent, well, I shouldn't say that, but most parents come to this place, especially those who believe in our triune God, that God truly loves our kids more than we do. And that, that seems impossible on some level, but it's true. And yes. we we uh, trust them to his care. Hallelujah. Praise God that he won't ever abandon them at any point in that journey. But uh, it's such a blessing to know you. Uh, not only as a friend, but a colleague in pastoral ministry in the shared denomination. So welcome. Well, friends, it's that time. We have five Bible passages that we're going to unpack together. They are Revelation 21, 1 through 6a. It's making everything new. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. I am well pleased. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Grace and peace. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18. The foolishness of Christ. And finally, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, blessed. Our first pericope this month is Revelation 21, 1 through 6a. I'll be reading from the New International Version. It is the revised common lectionary passage for the first Sunday after Christmas on January the 1st. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost 
from the spring of the water of life. What a beautiful passage. Amen. I am making everything new. It is a bold heralding of the gospel in verse 5. And I'm drawn, Julie, to the fact that God doesn't say he's making new things, but rather he's making all things new. He is restoring and renewing what already exists in his good creation. So what should this proclamation do um, to how we live and, and share the gospel? Well, you know, this is, this is a, a proclamation of behold. There is assured hope in Christ. You know, this is a moment of don't lose your faith. Um, if, I, I, if I could go back to Luke uh, chapter 22, where Jesus is at the table with Peter, and Peter is told that he's going to reject Jesus. He's going to, to deny him. And, and, you know, this is very scary news to Peter. And Jesus shares with Peter that he's said a prayer for him, a prayer that Peter would not lose his faith. And, you know, I see in this, this passage here is, you know, there is great tribulation. There is great trials and persecution um, that we've read about previously in, in Revelation and this is that moment of don't lose your faith, you know, contrary of what we can see in this moment, despite the evidence of great evil, there is great hope for the people of God. You know, N.T. Wright says, this is the moment of bringing all creation to redeemed and fruitful life. God is truly in charge of history and he has the final word. And what does he say? I am making everything new. This is a profound moment for us to stand in the reality of who God is, who has the final say. And his final say is I'm making everything new. Hebrews 23 <sighs> reminds us, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So it is, it is in the spirit of great hope, in the spirit of standing before a God who says, I'm making all new. That's my, fine, that's my say, you know, I've got the final say here. That's my say. We stand in the confidence of that and the hope of Christ presented before us in the scripture. Hallelujah. Praise God. He gets the last word and he, and he had the first word and he said it was good. And now look, I'm returning it to its goodness. Thank God for his final word. And we stand in that hope. And, you know, I, I don't know your experience, Julie, but I, I have found pastoral ministry, many things. Um, but often it's dealing with people's suffering. It's yes. entering into that as Jesus has truly in his humanity and by the spirit enters into our suffering. And it says, it gives us this hopeful statement that he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Huh? <laughs> wow. Um, what a reality to consider and something to look forward to. But what, what are your thoughts? The sacrifice lamb declares victory eternal victory over evil and death of this world. 
it's done. It's finished. You know, we, we hear John the Baptist, his declaration, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, we stand in that place of beholding God, the Lamb who has done all needed. You know, this is the it is finished, all caps, exclamation point, exclamation point. You know, it's this is that moment that we've hoped for, um, the moment that it's done, you know, and we're in him. It's it's completed an, an eternal life, you know, um, eternal victory in Christ. We see the story behind the story, Jesus, the beginning, the source of all things. And the end, the completion, the one who brings that full, that full turn. And we get to see this and we get to see that final score and we get to see Jesus wins. Mm -hmm. That's a good victory. Yeah. yeah. Amen to that. And, you know, this pericope ends with this line that you can get spring water, that is water <laughs> of life. And it harkens back to Isaiah where, you know, come and eat and drink and it's free. And this, just this lavishness of grace. What a, what an amazing passage to behold as you started out. Yes. Well, let's transition to our next passage, which is Matthew 3 verses 13 through 17. It is the revised common lectionary passage for the baptism of our Lord, which is on January the 8th. Julie, would you read it for us, please? Yes, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice of heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Hmm. So Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, according to this passage. So how should this bless us personally, if at all, and bless those that we share the gospel with? Well, we have to remember that in his incarnation, Jesus immersed us into our world. And he reveals a God with us. In his baptism, humanity is included and immersed into his world, where he is our representative. He is the one who responds perfectly to the love of the Father. The weight of being righteous is not ours to bear. The blessedness of that, the blessedness of Jesus on our behalf has stood in our place. He has included us in his faithfulness. I would call this blessed assurance. Right on. And it says that God the Father loves and is pleased with God the Son. I think all of us want to hear that, right? That yeah. uh, God loves us and is pleased in us. So let me ask you this. Are, are we just bystanders to this love relationship? 
or participants in some way, whether we recognize it or not? And should the water baptism of Jesus lead us to baptism? Well, you know, there's there's some things going on in this scripture that's really incredible. You know, they have they've sat there and the people on the shore have witnessed people being baptized and you know, they're observing this from a distance. And then they themselves are going in and being baptized. And here we have John who he's recognizing Jesus standing before him. And he doesn't quite, you know, he's not following 100% why Jesus is, you know, wanting to be baptized here in this moment. And it's in this baptism of, of Christ that we see that atoning relationship. It's where we no longer are bystanders, you know, the one who, who takes us into his own divine life, brings us into perfect communion with Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, yeah. and Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can you speak to that communion? I, I, you know, I've heard a theologian once say kind of jokingly, but to make a point that, you know, in this passage, we see the Trinity but the Trinity is not just two guys and a bird. You know, there's so much more going on. <laughs> Can you talk about the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit and, and how we are in any way connected to it? Well, we're connected to it by grace alone, by what, mm. you know, by, by what Jesus um, has done on our behalf. Um, you know, creation was created out of love. Uh, the Father, Son, Spirit relationship of God says, let, let us, let us create, let us, let us do this, you know? Um, and, and then they, they celebrate, it's a celebration of, of what has occurred within that relationship, um, this creation that, that God declares joy over, um, and we have we have a relationship where it is for the father that Jesus he acts he acts in response to the father the father they're, they're constantly feeding one another um, responding to one another constantly um, you know that other that other focus. It's it's really interesting. It's a it's a very giving um, love that is that is seeking to love, that is seeking to be, that is seeking to know. And Jesus lays down Himself that we can be in that we can be included in that. So He seeks that we would know Him. Other focused lays Himself down that we would experience that perfect communion with father um, yes. with a, with a father who says, I love you. And a father who mm-hmm. says it is you, you know, that I am yeah. well pleased. And, and it's just, it's a really beautiful moment. And, you know, I think of like the sacraments of, of baptism it, uh, there's a book that says in it's titled in faith, Seeking Understanding, and it's uh, written by Daniel McGlory, and he describes the sacraments as embodiments of grace and goes on to say that they are palpable enactments of the gospel by means of which the Spirit of God confirms to us the forgiving, renewing, 
and promising love of God in Jesus Christ and enlivens us in faith, hope, and love. This relationship of promise and love and faithfulness and grace and mercy and forgiveness and renewing, I don't know that there are enough words to describe this relationship of God, but I think those are some pretty good ones. Mm, they are. And, you know, all of our God talk, our words about God, they're an approximation, right? We just do the best we can, but those are very good words to express the reality of Father, Son, and Spirit and our participation in that, including baptism, which is just a beautiful expression of um, the gift of faith that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's move on to our next passage, which is 1 Corinthians 1 through uh, or chapter 1, 1 through 9. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for the second Sunday after the Epiphany, which is on January the 15th. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace and peace, Julie. <laughs> it's a common <laughs> salutation for Paul the Apostle. But common things, they, they sometimes can lose their meaning um, as we move through this experience called human life. So should we slow down maybe for a moment and consider this greeting and, and what's contained within it? What, what would you say? Well, I think that it takes me back uh, to Acts where, where Paul first uh, goes to Corinth and uh, where he encounters, you know, the the Jewish people in, in the synagogue, and he's he's preaching the gospel. He's sharing um, the transformation of Christ, and you know he's doing all this. And and there's just a rejection. There's a you know um, they're, they're just un unwilling to hear and unwilling to respond to that. And so to these Jewish people, you know, he's like, hey, I I uh, I'm going to move on to the Gentiles because you guys aren't you're not willing to hear this. And so when I see this greeting. You know, this greeting, we have like the Greek, the Greek word for grace. And then we have the Jewish word of shalom, of peace. And it just makes me wonder on that connection of, you know, who Paul is speaking to. You know, you've got Jews and Gentiles in Corinth. And I just, I see Paul uniting, you know, he's calling to these people who, um, maybe would not otherwise be united, uh, would not be, I said, may not, may not, would not be united otherwise. And he's, he's uniting them in a greeting, you know, under the, the love of God, you know, um, and in his greeting, he, he 
puts God and Jesus right there together. He's declaring they are God, you know, and um, his his way that he addresses Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, um, fully God, fully man, and the Messiah. Let's not forget that. Um, he's reminding them, you know, who God has made them to be. Uh, this is, I, I think it's intentional. I think it's intentional to kind of pull in, you know, pull in to hear, pull in to, to be reminded um, of God, of God's word to them and remind them that, you know, you matter. Uh, and Paul's letter is not just to one people. There's, there's a, there's a mix here. Mm. Well, speaking of the writing, the letter, uh, of course it was written to the church at Corinth, but it was also written for us. So I think I can say with faithfulness and fidelity with the scripture, you, Julie France, don't lack any spiritual gift. <laughs> and that's an astounding thought to ponder. You know, Paul spoke this on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ under the inspiration of the Spirit. So what should we know and how should we act as a result? Well, I think we can probably understand this a little deeper as you get further into 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul actually addresses spiritual giftings. And when he's referencing you, we we have to re remember that he's speaking to the church. You know, there's a body here. There's a community here. And uh, I, even though we like to individualize everything, you know, that we hear a lot, I think there is a community here that that Paul is talking to. And, and he addresses, you know, the the spiritual gifting of that community. Um, you, you know, you could say that every congregation has every spiritual gift. I, I'm not sure that I'm confident to to go that far, but I, but we, we do know based on what Paul has given us is that all, um, all these are, all these gifts are the, are the work of the one and same spirit. Um, we know that he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And that's out of first Corinthians 12. Um, so every congregation has been gifted with all the needed and necessary gifts according to the Holy Spirit's designation for the common good. So not one person has all the gifts. We were kind of required to work together, allowing the diversity of gifts to build unity within the body and to encourage and uplift one another. So really not a not a place to boast or a place to feel inferior, but just a place to sit and rest in the reality that we have just what we need as far as God has determined. Hmm. Many of the uh, listeners today uh, to this podcast, they'll be preparing sermons uh, using the worship calendar. And of course, we've entered into the season just after Epiphany. Um, I know I'll be putting you on the spot here a bit, but anything you want to say about the season of uh, Epiphany, Epiphany Tide, the, the days following Epiphany, and ultimately what we see being revealed in Jesus Christ? Well, I always look forward to this time because even though I prep and I've got an idea of, of where we will be journeying, I 
feel like God is constantly giving us a fresh season of epiphany, a fresh season mm. to see again. Um, yes. And so I just, that's something that I try to have a posture of like new sight and a place to refer, you know, uh, receive afresh the word of God. Um, because I know that a lot of these scriptures as pastors, as, as you've been pastored for many years, these are scriptures that you've journeyed through multiple times. Um, so much so that you may even remember the last sermon that you gave in relation to this scripture. But I, I would just challenge that we would sit and posture ourselves to see afresh and to experience anew, you know, this, this beautiful time um, of seeing um, and a beautiful time of, of revealing. Yeah. I, I once read how theology and the work of um, biblical interpretation, you know, it's a human fallible activity aimed at articulating the perfect infallible logic of God in Christ. And so therefore all of our God talk theology is ultimately rooted in Christology, which is the mm -hmm. study of Christ for he alone sums up God's self-revelation to mankind, which is so true as Hebrews one tells us he's the exact representation of God. And that's how God is speaking to us in the word, living word, Jesus Christ. And so epiphany is a beautiful season to be, as you said, reminded afresh uh, of just who God is and what he is revealing about himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that we can just ponder Jesus during this season to say he continues to reveal himself. It's not a one and done. He, he yeah. by the spirit is continuing to reveal the, just the, the unbelievable and matchless nature of our God. Our next passage is 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18. It's for the third Sunday after the Epiphany in the Revised Common Lectionary, which is on January the 22nd. Julie, would you read that one for us, please? Absolutely. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanos. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mm, hallelujah. You know, Paul appeals to us to have no divisions and to be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. And I go, whoa, wait a second. I mean, we live in a time wrought with division, disunity, and quarrels. And and we see it not only in society, but it, it rears its ugly head in the church. 
So what should we do, Pastor Julie? Just throw up our hands in despair? Help (laughs) us to understand. Well, this message is difficult today for so many. Um, And it was difficult back then. You know, God's message and his mission does not rely on human approval. Um, The gospel is not logically sound. Um, You know, who would do this? And, you know, we have we have uh, some who are thinking, you know, the cross was a, a shameful death and it's a cursed man who died upon that. And, you know, this is absolute ludicrous that somebody would would uh would die upon a cross you want to follow someone who's died upon a cross you know this is this sounds crazy the great thinkers and the profoundly educated they couldn't come up with a way to save themselves and yet you know paul presents that god's love grace and mercy does not make sense Mm -hmm. and i would say thank goodness for that because rejected and denied god turns toward humanity and lays down his life. It doesn't make sense. And yet it is. So Verse eight. it's not a place of Go despair. Ahead. It's a place of hope. Because God did something that no one else would do. God has done something that makes no logical sense. And yet it is. Um, it's, a, it's a place to stand in awe and wonder of our God. Yeah, you said it It makes no sense, and that is true. And it tells us that the cross, you know, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you want to talk about that, what, what, what this means, this perishing word. But to those of us who are being saved, it, it's the power of God. Amen and amen, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. tell us a little bit more about this. Help us understand. Well, I, I thought it was interesting that Paul... You know, he speaks about, you know, he doesn't use eloquent, you know, language, attractive language to entice people to this. You know, the gospel message, Senator Christ, is a powerful, transformative message. There is no need for added fluff. You know, it is a, it is a place where the hopelessness of humanity discovers the love of God. And great hope. Um, God uses the gospel message to bring salvation to those who would believe. It is it is a place where things are not as they should be, and there is a, <laughs> there is gratefulness and thankfulness for that. Um, because if things were as they should be, we would all be in a lot of trouble. And yet God presents something really beautiful that it's like the dawning of a new hope, you know? Um, I know years ago, Anthony, I heard you give a message uh, and you you used the Lord of the Rings was in your message. And there's a great battle in the Lord of the Rings where it's like hope is like nowhere to be found. You know, the doom of of what is happening, we have these people in a... They're they're in a kingdom that is falling, and their stronghold is crumbling right before them. And all they can see is a sea of army approaching and encroaching upon them. And all of a sudden, 
when all hope has faded, there's a light that shows at the top of the hill, and it is the great Gandalf. He's he's arrived, and he has arrived with with the strength to overcome um, all that has been against them. And you know, this is that it it is foolishness, you know, that that we would put so such hope in Christ, you know, to this humanity. It's like this is crazy talk. <laughs> but to us yeah. that are saved in the power of God, it is life itself. You know, it's, it's that abundant life. It's that place of, you know, of rest. It's that place where we can just exhale and, and be, um, be his, be saved. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great place of peace for us. Um, and it does not make sense to humanity. It does not make sense to the brokenness of this world. Um, it, it just, who would do that? Who would do that? Hmm. I'm drawn as I look back over this passage to verse 13 and, and Paul says, you know, was Paul crucified for you? And were you <laughs> baptized in the name of Paul? Well, clearly the answer is no in Christ and Christ alone. And my thought goes to, the work of ministry, being heralds of the gospel as pastors in mm -hmm. the church of Jesus Christ. It's really easy to get a savior complex. We're out, you know, saving the world, trying to rescue people. But nobody's crucified in your name and my name. And that that's good. That's reassuring <laughs> because if it's on me, if it's on you, whoo, we're in trouble. So um, anything you want to say to that, um, any any affirmation in that? Just any thought that you have about how that shapes your participation in ministry? Yeah, I I think it's easy for us, you know. Sometimes as pastors, you can you can receive a lot of really good feedback. Sometimes you know, and it's it can make you feel pretty good about things, and you think, oh, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job here, or, or whatnot, and. Um, what's funny is, you know, the, those come and then the criticisms come and you can, you know, get, get, be tore down a bit. But the reality of, of joining Jesus in ministry is that it's not ours. This isn't our, this isn't our ministry. And this is, you know, I think this is what Paul's getting at. This isn't, mm -hmm. this isn't his ministry. The proclamation of hope has nothing to do with Paul. You know, the proclamation of hope has to do with who? Jesus. That's it. That's it. And any one of us who would declare otherwise or to take credit otherwise, we're missing the point, you know. And I, I think in a lot of a lot of churches, sometimes they those who who are very gifted in, in certain things can can kind of uh, you know present a, a place where people they jump on board with that person and. They, you know, it's like they're they're drawn to that person, and I think as pastors, you know, we we want people to be drawn to Christ. We want people to see Christ, you know. And doesn't mean that we can't be gifted. Doesn't mean that we can can't give good sermons. Doesn't mean that that we can't be a good pastor. It's just it's not about us. It's not about us, and. You know, sometimes our congregations, and and I don't I don't know I haven't experienced enough 
of uh, other cultures and stuff. But here in the United States, so you know, our the culture can be very pastor centric. It can be very, you know, focus on the pastor and the good, you know, the speaker and and how well they do things and whatnot. And you know, I think that is detrimental to the church. It's det- detrimental to the body of Christ. And uh, I think it's it's good for us to be aware of that and to constantly point to Christ, you know, I, I don't want anyone to come to me and think it's, you know, think this is in me. It's not. And mm-hmm. um, I, I thank God that uh, he reminds me of that. And I, and I think this, this is a good reminder from Paul of like, y'all, it's not about us. Yeah. I often think of John the Baptist in this way from that, that uh, imagery in John chapter one, he, you know, he's teaching his disciples and mm-hmm. Jesus walks by and he points to him, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the disciples get up and leave him, you know, and if John <laughs> wanted to make it about himself, he'd be like, hey, where are you guys going? I'm not done with my sermon. But he knew what he was there for. And we are to do, to do the same, to point people to our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, in participating in pastoral ministry, I've discovered that 80% of it is proclaiming and sharing the gospel. And it seems like the other 20% is setting up chairs, right? It's just, it's just <laughs> rolling up your sleeves and going to work. And, and, and in doing so, we are embodying the, the reality of who Jesus is. But thank God it's his ministry and it's in his power and strength that we act. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And and let's not get frustrated if that temptation gets there, you know? If that temptation comes, let's just be aware of it and continue to point to Christ. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's pretty natural for a congregation to you know, uh, love and and uh, they want to they want to be respectful to their pastors and stuff and you have, you know, we have a bit of a culture of that in some congregations and that's not a bad thing, but it is Jesus. It is Jesus that we are here for. It is. It is. He. He is the one who gathers. He is the one we worship. He is the one who, who builds the churches. He is the one who grows us. Um, you know, our spiritual giftings come from Him. We are. You know, we we couldn't do any of this without Him. It is His ministry, and um, I think as pastors, we can we can point to that. You know, and just remind in, in case that temptation does come. Right on. Well, sister, we're up to our final pericope of the month. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It is the Revised Common Lectionary passage for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany on January the 29th, and it reads, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. Hmm. Julie Jesus said, blessed are the poor, you know, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger, those who are merciful. You know, sometimes that seems truly at odds with our world and the self-help, get her done, you know, get ahead society, dog eat dog. These statements seem so out of sync to what we might call, quote unquote, reality. What should we learn and embody from Jesus, our Lord? Well, I, I think that we have to look at these statements and realize that um, this isn't a to-do list for Christians. Um as if we could even do it ourselves, you know, it's, it's not that, um, this is a, this is a, a place, um, where it's not, it's actually not about us. <laughs> it's a, it is, uh, it, it really is like the indicative indicatives of uh, blessing, you know, and, and so many would read this and think, well, if, um, if I, if I am, um, if I'm meek, then then God will bless me, you know. If I if I am uh, if I'm merciful, then then God will show me mercy. But it's more of a proclamation of of who He is. Uh, this is this is who God is. He's a God of blessing. To know Him and whatever circumstances you find yourself in is to be blessed. Um, it, this is what it means to be drawn into the communion of God, a, plus, a place of blessing. And, you know, and when you think of people who are meek, you would don't think of them being blessed. You, you think of people who are hungry and thirsty. You think of, the, um, for righteousness, you think of them lacking, right? You think of, you know, those who are, are merciful. It's like they're weak. What are, what are they doing? Um, these are, these are things that, we may not look at as a good thing, or we may look at as less than. Um, and yet, God, God remind reminds us that this is a place where we can participate in 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 the blessing of Him, the blessing of who God is. Um, it is a place of blessing to to know God and and to be in that place of, of relationship with him. And if we go, if we follow down, um, through this, the scripture passage, we see in, in verse 12, where this is, you know, here, here is the imperative. Here is our, our response of the rejoice and be glad. Um, and so this isn't a, this isn't a how to, um, how to humble yourself enough to be to receive a blessing? Um, because I, I think that uh, it would be just you know yes it would be discouraging to those who want to be strong and whatnot, but also it, it could become an idol for those who are you know I'm gonna I'm gonna tear myself down enough to to be this so that I can get a blessing and it's just a just it's just not the this is not how God has relationship with us this is just uh, outside of of who he is really. Um, it's not a, if I do this, then God will do this, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I think in a truly Christological reading of this passage, we, we know that Jesus uh, himself said it. I mean, the scriptures are about him. Mm -hmm. And so who was merciful? Who was pure in heart? Who was the peacemaker? Who mm -hmm. was persecuted because of righteousness? Who was insulted 
and persecuted and falsely accused. What was Jesus? <laughs> I mean, this yeah. this is him. It, like you were saying, this reflects the very essence and nature of God. It He is the one who um, we see all of this in. And of course, in, in the just very generous giving nature of God that we experience blessing, as you pointed to. And I also think that there is, you know, in our following of Christ and being conformed to Christ, there is an active participation in this. And so I did want to ask you, you know, verse nine talks about that um, the peacemakers are blessed. And, you know, I've thought about this and I'd just like to ponder it with you. It doesn't say blessed are the keep make, uh, peacekeepers. You know, mm-hmm. I, am I making too much of that? Is it semantical or is there a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? Is there something we should consider? Well, I don't know if we're reading too much or too little or anything there. Um, but I think to realize that both exist in Christ and Christ alone. You know, it's uh, in a, it's in a life of participation um, and that, that, um, I don't know that we focus, I, when I look at this, I don't really focus on the difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, but that it only exists in Christ. This only exists in Christ. This is, this is, you know, the one, um, that we participate with, uh, who has done all things and, and continues to do, um, this through the spirit, you know, so it's in this way, Jesus reminds, um, reminds us he's the sole mediator. He's the one, you know, he's, the, yeah. he's the only one. And so he's that high priest. So if, you know, I can't step in and be a peacemaker or peacekeeper. That's, that's outside of my will. Well, you know, but I can sit in the reality that in, in my life, there is opportunity for me to respond in participation um, as, as Jesus is our high priest and, um, and that this is not dependent upon humor, human effort, but I do have a participation of response and it is a gift for me to yeah. be in that participation. It is a gift. And uh, I think it was, it was James Torrance and he, he wrote the gift of participating through the spirit in the incarnate son's communion with the father to ponder that gift, you know? And I, I think when we, when we look at these things, we see the giftedness and blessing of participating in who Jesus is. Hmm. And this verse just, this, this describes him. Yeah. I, I probably should have worded that question differently. I, you know, I, I hear people sometimes talk, Julie, and yes, I know this is about God, but we do actively participate in him. And yes, you know, I, I know folks like to say, let's keep the peace. And what they mean is mm-hmm. let's avoid conflict. But the peacemaker that we see in Jesus went right into the heart of conflict. Mm-hmm. Yes. He, he assumed it into himself and dealt with it directly through the cross. And so I sometimes wonder if you know, by making a, a distinction between peacemaker and peacekeeper that that truly as as followers of Jesus, that we need to be active in making peace um, 
even as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom to come, that the kingdom is is emerging. It is inaugurated. And even though it's hidden, we have this chance to to bear witness to the reality that we are active in moving toward peace, which means moving toward Jesus. And sometimes that means it's uncomfortable for people, you know, that it's it's not the avoidance of conflict, but it is reconciling because reconciliation is God's idea and it's good. It's a great idea, right? It's the best idea. And sometimes I think um, we have to move toward that. That's that's really what I was driving at. But thanks yeah. be to God that Jesus <laughs> is the one who who ultimately has done that at the cross. Amen. Yes, definitely. And I, you know, I think that peacekeeper when we when we encounter Christ and we live out in relationship with Him, you know, there there's a hard truth that comes yes. with the gospel and it's a, it's a truth that is refining and it penetrates you know and it's that moment you know we we talk about being a key peacekeeper it's that moment of you know maintaining the right to be right or prioritizing the person in whom Christ is sitting in relationship with you you know like it's mm. it's that moment of you know we're we're we are participating in the peacekeeping. Um, and so, yes, I, I, sorry, I didn't fully grasp what you were asking me before, but yeah, I think that that's that, uh, a place where we, we do encounter the, the hard truths of the gospel. We do encounter that refinement and, um, that double-edged sword that, that divides, you know, what is life giving and what is not. And, you know, Jesus calls us to participate in that which is life giving, that which is um, restoring, you know. And uh, if we look at the nature of Christ, it is a restorative nature. And so, yes, we can be peacekeepers uh, as we participate in the restorative nature of Christ. It's not a nature to condemn other, but a nature to to restore, right? And that's a that's a very beautiful place that God invites us into. Mm, amen. And and what is the result of that making peace? Well, verse 12, rejoice and be mm-hmm. glad. What is the result of theology? What is the result of encountering <laughs> this this scripture passage? Rejoice and be glad. I mean, this is this is the gospel good news. And if we're not rejoicing and being glad, we're doing something wrong, right, Julie? I mean, is there anything else that you want to bring out of this passage for those who will be preparing to proclaim it? I think that we can rest and rejoice in the blessing of who Jesus is. We can do that. And um, maybe we don't give ourselves permission to do that enough. Maybe we don't give ourselves permission enough to, to really sit in that place of blessing with the Lord. Um, but he is a God of blessing. Um, Mm -hmm. and to know him is to be blessed. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, sister Julie, it's uh, a joy to know you as a friend, a sister in Christ, as a fellow pastor. And I'm so grateful that you said yes to the invitation to join me in this conversation around scripture we call it Gospel Reverb, and as is our tradition, we like to, to close with a word of prayer. Um, so would you, as our guests, be willing to pray over our listening audience, and um, let's uh, celebrate this blessing that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. 
gracious and faithful Lord, thank you that we get to come and and walk through this scripture together. And Lord, it is it is such a blessing um, to sit with you and to be in your word and and to have your spirit pour upon us. And uh, Lord, you are you are so good and so faithful to us. And Lord, I I just lift up the pastors who are right now preparing preparing to deliver your word uh, to a beautiful congregation. And Lord, I I pray that you will be clear and that you will be directive in, in helping them uh, to prepare this message. Help them to rest and with confidence, Lord, in, in you. Um, rest that that you are the one leading. You are the you're the pastor of these churches. It's it's not us. Thank goodness for that. We are, we are joining you. Um, and so, Lord, we just thank you for that faithfulness. We know your faithfulness is, is true in all circumstances that, that we can trust and we can rest in that. And, and so in the preparation of these messages, Lord, pray, Lord, that we um, will truly trust your lead in preparing those. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see these things afresh in you. Help us to see what you are revealing um, and help us, Lord, to present those in your will, in your timing and in the way, Lord, that that they need to be heard. And and God, we give you all glory. Um, None of us could do this without you. I don't think any of us want to do it without you, Lord. And um, thank goodness that is not the case, that we have to move one day without you, Lord, in in this ministry. And so to you be the glory, um, Lord, and thank you again for my brothers and sisters who join me now in proclaiming the gospel and pointing to the goodness of you, Lord. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a guest of Gospel Reverb. If you like what you heard, give us a high rating and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Share this episode with a friend. It really does help us get the word out as we are just getting started. Join us next month for a new show and insights from the RCL. Until then, peace be with you.